0: Welcome to Renaissance Man. I'm Jalen Rose. This week's theme is Fortune Favors the Bold with special guest Mark Cuban. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast. Proudly presented by the New York Post. What is a renaissance man, you ask? Well, a renaissance man is someone who keeps his ear to the streets and fingers on the pulse of fashion, entertainment, pop culture, current events, and everything in between. This week's theme is Fortune Favors the Bold. Being bold is difficult. And one way, I was different is that I was just taller than everyone else. So as a shorty, and I'm talking pre-teenage years, so that's like elementary, middle school, those years, I realized that I was tall, but I wasn't like towering over my classmates per se, but my height started to make a difference when people started to tease me because I was tall, but I didn't play basketball. I actually started playing organized basketball when I was in sixth grade. But before that period of time, as I was growing into my body, elementary school years, people was teasing me for a few things. Number one, being poor, having patches in my pants, But as I started to grow, you know what else did? My feet. And I remember being 10 years old and wearing a size 10 and people teasing me about it. Then when I turned 11, the same thing, 12, same thing. Oh, you 13 and you wear a size 13. But the one thing about growing up in a single parent home where your mother's a key puncher that works at Chrysler and you're the youngest of four, just because your feet are growing That don't mean you get new shoes all the time. So if you are fortunate enough, and I say that sarcastically, to see my feet, you will notice I have corns on every toe. And the reason why isn't just because I played basketball for so many years. It happened way before then. It happened when I'm 10 years old, wearing a size 10, but still rocking the size eight shoes that my mother brought me six months prior. And so being teased for having corns on your feet, patches in your pants, skinny, poor bumps on your face, still peed in the bed. They say the most honest people are kids and the elderly. Growing up on the Northwest side of Detroit, it was brutal. Some of the ways I got teased. The key from this story is to embrace the things that make you stand out. Because it could easily be the thing that makes you succeed. But also, now I realize being tall gave me a sense of confidence. I can survey the room better. And also, when I walk in the room, you have no choice but to notice me. And no longer am I afraid to be bold. My next guest has never been afraid to stand out and whose boldness has made him one of the most recognizable businessmen in the world and owner of the NBA champion franchise, Dallas Mavs. Give it up for my next guest, Mark Cuban. Welcome to this week's Renaissance Man. And it's one thing, to take it to the floor or take it to the stands but we're going ownership this week one of my favorite people in sports decided to take the time to join me and i'm really grateful welcome mark cuban to the renaissance man i appreciate you joining me For you, Jalen, anything. You know that. That's much love, and it's great to see that trophy hanging over your right shoulder. It looks beautiful, my brother. You've lived such an interesting life, making big moves from the beginning. But here's something a lot of people may or may not know. You actually dropped out of high school, got your GED so you can attend college a year early. Where did you get that idea from, and how did you convince your parents for their support? Well, first, I didn't even
1: tell my parents. <laughs> Second, I got the idea from the fact that I wanted to take business classes when I was in high school, and they, the only business classes they had were for seniors, and I was a junior at the time. And so I'm like, okay, I think I'm smarter than you. I'm going to start taking classes at the University of Pittsburgh at night. And I did okay. And so I'm like, look, I got a couple classes at Pitt already under my belt why do I need to go back to high school? I'll just stay in college. And that's what I did. And I did a year at Pitt there, lived on campus, and then Pitt didn't really have a real undergraduate business school. And so I saw a list of the top 10 business schools, picked out the cheapest one and went from there to Indiana University.
0: I purposely wore my University of Michigan hat today as a fellow Big Ten when I signed my letter of intent, I was happy to be getting free Nikes. When you went to campus, you were actually hosting parties and being an entrepreneur. Bring us behind the curtain on that experience. Yeah, actually, it was the only way I could pay for
1: school, right? So I got to campus. I'd never even seen the campus, but I, I was always a hustler. Like I tried to do a little betting slip when I first got there because I knew like, I had to pay my bills and, and I had to pay them. Um, That didn't work. And then I just started throwing parties. And so we would get, (laughs) we would get me and my friends and we would just throw them right on the door floor, right? And we'd pay off the the RA right on the floor and and have these big blowouts. And then they got bigger and bigger. Then we rented out the Bloomington National Guard Armory and had, we literally rented um, school buses. So we had all these little yellow school buses going from. The dorm to pick up people, they paid us 10 bucks and that paid pretty much for
0: a year of school. So I consider you one of the new era owners, because as you know, the league has changed from where it seemed to be a family business almost yeah. until people like yourself who earned the money and invested and now became one of the most successful owners in the game. So how have you seen that transition and how that's affected the product we see on the floor?
1: Yeah, you know, you were playing when I first bought the Mavs. And mm-hmm. so when I came in, everybody just killed on me, man. They were just hating big time. <laughs> like I'm like, I would go to these board of governors meetings and the old school owners, the guys who inherited the teams that were in their, <laughs> their 70s and 80s, right? They would yell at me in meetings and they would <laughs> give me a hard time all the time. And I'm like, dude, this is the only way I know how to do it. I, you know, it's how I run my businesses and I'm not going to change. But, yeah, I remember, like, I walked into the Mavs when I first got to take over in January of 2000. And I, w- I was looking at stuff, and I, like, realized that we spent more money on computer repair than we did player development. Mm. And so I'm like, this is backwards, right? <laughs> you know, because you know how it was. You guys had three coaches. Yeah. Right? You, you had Larry Bird and Rick Carlisle and yes. one other person. Dick the- Carter. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was it. And so – I'm like, we have all these former players who want to get back in the game. Bring them all, right? And so we ended up having like 10 player development coaches, one, almost one for every guy. And people just destroyed me, destroyed me. I'm (laughs) like, you guys are the idiots, right? You're paying Mm -hmm. this money and you want to win a championship and you want to develop these guys into great players, but we're doing nothing. And then we want the coaches to be great coaches you know, you can't do both. Let them just be good at what they're good at. And so that started the whole player development movement and player development coaches. And to this day, Chip England, the guy from um, San Antonio Spurs, mm-hmm. he always walks up to me and goes, oh, thank you. Thank you for my job. But yeah, so I got crushed on that. I got crushed for being down by the floor instead of in a suite. And then even worse, they passed a rule that they didn't enforce. Like, still to this day, I'll go and be right by the huddles. Right. And so because I wanted to listen to what coaches had to say.
0: Absolutely.
1: But more importantly, I wanted to see how guys reacted. Because, you mm-hmm. know, when you're in a huddle, right, and coaches talking, there's an assistant maybe paying attention. Another one looking in the stands. Somebody picking a nose. Yeah. Right. And then, <laughs> and then just like Three guys who don't even know what's going on. Right. And I'm like, look, you know, I sit in on sales meetings because I want to know who the good salespeople are. Mm -hmm. I sit on programming meetings because I want to know who's good at that. How am I going to learn and see who's paying attention and what's up if I don't see how, if I'm not close to see how everybody interrelates because culture and approach, Mm -hmm. all that stuff is critical to winning basketball, right? That was that. And so I got destroyed. So literally they passed a rule like in 2005 or 2006 saying that only coaches and players and immediate staff were allowed to be by, by any huddles or by the bench. I just ignored it. So all that stuff, man, it was fun. Just trying to, to blow
0: things up. Absolutely. I believe that hands-on approach and that personal love really was an anchor to being able to retain an all time, great player in Dirk Nowitzki. In an era where you see the best players, and this year we're going to talk about Giannis's future, what did it mean for you to be able to maintain that relationship with Dirk, allow him to stay, maintain his legacy, and probably have a statue in front of the building one day?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. We grew up together. You know, he was new. He had just come from Germany. You know, his English was good, but not great. And me, him, Nash, Michael Finley, and then Jawan Howard— your old Mm -hmm. buddy, Howard Isley. We used to all go out and hang out together, right? (laughs) Um, And so I got to know them really, really well and what was important to them and see how hard they worked and really got to understand what it was like to be an NBA player. And just, you know, growing together like that really made me appreciate everything that that Dirk, all the work that Dirk put in. And so, yeah, people don't realize what's involved. I mean, you obviously do. I mean, it's painful. There's not a whole lot of businesses where guys are expected to just go get surgery, right? Mm-hmm. And then just work, the <laughs> right. you know, yeah, you're an accountant. Yeah, go, you know, go get that hand surgery for your accountant. You'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, really, yeah, that's right. You know, you know, what, what do they say? What do the doctors say? Oh, we've got six weeks. Okay, be back and forth, right? You get to really appreciate just the amount of work and mentally and physically the toll it takes. And, you know, when someone's willing to do that for you for 20 plus years, you've got to respect that and reward it.
0: What about the advanced scouting not only of yourself, but of your organization, because as the international players start to be more predominant in the NBA, and I remember when Sabonis and Detlef Shrimp and so many different players, Tony Kukoc, were before Dirk actually happened. And then now you have an international superstar in Luka Doncic and you paired him with Chris Stapp's Porzingis. You guys have a special future. So what is it like almost seeing Dirk and that international flavor kind of being reincarnated in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, it's different now because back then, people didn't really like it, right? Especially with the Mavs, you know, and then some of the Spurs, it was like, oh, you're drafting another big white stiff from some country. <laughs> and <laughs> it was like, no, no, Dirk's not as stiff, right? No, we've had a few of those, <laughs> but um, yeah. And then once people from the, you know overseas got to watch them play, and now you're seeing a lot more with Africa where you're seeing the development of players mm-hmm. in Africa who are coming mm-hmm. over and they're looking up to the Serge Ibaka's and the the Siakam's and, yes, you know, and they're setting the, the example just like, you know, Petrovic and Dirk and all those players did mm-hmm. for your team players. And and so we don't care where they come from. I just want the guys who can play, you know. I don't care if they're purple, orange, or yellow. If you can play and help <laughs> you win another one of those things, you're my best <laughs> friend. But Dirk really, he set the tone. And, you know, you see things like that. The the biggest difference, I think, is, you know, they get a chance to go back and play for their home country, just like guys here play for the Olympic team. And you can see how special it is to them. And then Mm -hmm. you can see the response of their home countries when they do those things, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not a little deal. It's a big deal.
0: One of the things that you did that was a big deal that you may have not realized is when I played in the league, it literally was like owners – handled themselves in one room and kept a one conversation. And the players were kind of separate. You kind of broke down those barriers in a lot of ways based on your relationships with players. I remember you were one of the first owners to have food for the team after (laughs) we played on the road. And you made sure your teams had like computers and and, and laptops and whatnot available to them. So you translated that into Shark Tank, which is one of my favorite shows, and it's a long-standing show. So doing that show, what are some of the things that you learned, but also you want to show your players because you know that they get bombarded with business investments constantly?
1: That, that's an interesting question. And by the way, Shark Tank's on every Friday night on ABC. I'm still a fan, person right?
0: Yes, indeed.
1: <laughs> no, it, it, it's a really good question, Jalen, because you know, guys see the show as well. You're bored and you're on the road and there's repeats all the time. And I was just talking to Bobon this morning. We all had to go down and get tested, right? And he was like, yeah, when I was in the bubble and, you know, I was watching Shark Tank every show and da 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 You know, and and so, you know, I'll talk to guys uh, because you guys get hit up with business deals all the time, but you may not have the background to make the best decisions or even Correct. to know who. To and so there's a lot of times I'll talk with guys about potential deals and give them feedback and 99% of them are, are not good deals. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, some of the things I learned in shark tank that I, you know, try to convey to the guys is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: just, just because you grew up with somebody and they know more about business than you doesn't mean they're good at business, you know, and you've got to really, really be careful. Like. There's a guy that I'm good friends with now who just realized some somebody was ripping him off. Wow. You know, and that happens all the time. And and you just gotta really be careful.
0: Knowing that you were gonna be on the show, and I'm honored to not only do a podcast but write a column on you this week at some point as well, is that the theme I decided was fortune favors the bold. And watching you continue to progress. As an owner, but also an individual, has been really astonishing. So, how have you, being amongst your fellow owners, but also a champion and really passionate about the game, still maintain your personality? Because I know sometimes they want you to look a certain way, speak a certain way, you know, sit with a certain decorum. Like, so how are you able to maintain your love and your passion and still be yourself when I know that you have those pressures?
1: Yeah, it's not pressure to me at all, Jay. I mean, it's like when I first got in, it's like I just decided I was going to be myself. And either you were going to accept me or you didn't. And I didn't care one way or the other. And now that I've been doing it so long, they're kind of used to me. <laughs> you know, it's just like, OK. And plus, I think they respect the fact that I love the game. You know, I didn't come in. This is an investment for me. I didn't come in and say this is only about making money. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still that guy, you know, in normal times, if you come out early to get shots up in Dallas, I'm out there getting shots up, right? (laughs) If you go down to the practice facility and these last couple of days and there's one guy in the back that looks like he's old and slow, it's because he is, it's me, and I'm still getting shots up. (laughs) me, you know, everybody does different things to relax. Some people listen to music. You know, I get to block out every, when I'm out there getting shots up and I hear that sound of the ball going through the net, you know, and you get on a roll and I'm like hitting, you know, a bunch of threes in a row. <laughs> stops, right? There is no pandemic. Right? And, and when the, before the pandemic, going to play pickup a couple of times a week, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm getting, moving further and further back. The old man basketball mm-hmm. comes into play.
0: But, yes, indeed.
1: Uh, but You know, just because ball is life, right? That's still who I am. And that's still what I love. And I think they just come to realize that, that I do this because I love the game of basketball and I love being part of it. And if I didn't own the Mavs, I'd still be out there getting shots up all the time in some park somewhere just doing it because that's who I am. And I think that's what they've come to realize.
0: Mark, the NBA did an amazing job of completing its season in a bubble in Orlando, getting to a champion, and I believe no asterisk should be attached because it was well done by the NBA and its players. Do you have any worries that the NBA are going to run into some of the issues that we see now having with the NFL?
1: Yes, absolutely, positively. And it wouldn't shock me if the team with the fewest missed games for COVID cases is at the top of the standings when we get to the playoffs would not shock me at all. You know, being in a bubble where everybody's getting tested is one thing, but traveling makes it tougher. Now, I think we'll do better than the NFL only because we only have the 17 guys, you know, mm-hmm. and smaller travel parties, whereas they have huge, you know, groups mm-hmm. of people, but yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly a concern and it's something we, we talk about every day because people may not realize, but now getting ready to start training camp um, tomorrow, basically, We're getting tested every day. And once we start games, we'll get tested twice a day. Wow. You know, yeah. And so there's a lot of things. If you're going to be part of that small new group that can be in the gym and go to games, then you have to get tested twice a day. And so we're, you know, and talking to each and every one of the guys, we've been real clear that, you know, if this is important to you, as hard as you've worked on your game, you have to work just as hard being careful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something that, that is a concern. Because you know the NFL, they can move things around because there's only one game a week, correct? Three, four games, right? And it's it's also there's going to be so many things that that it can change. So we're trying to be really diligent and really careful. And the guys look they learned from the bubble just how important to to do it right is. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that'll carry
0: over. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, but before I let you get out of here, i do a rapid-fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds, presented by Tri-State Cadillac Dealers. Please answer as fast as you can. Are you ready to do this, Mr. Mark Cuban? Yes, sir. Let's go. Like Kanye West said, you're an ultra Travolta on the dance floor. So what's your favorite disco record? My favorite, um, Do You Want to Get Funky but With Me by Peter Brown. Oh, do you want to get funky with me? Okay, got it. Pick an additional host to be on Shark Tank? Shaq.
1: I want Shaq to come on there. Shaq (laughs) or Kevin Hart. Either one I think would be great.
0: Very nice. I know you can make that happen. Bartender to billionaire, what's your favorite cocktail to consume and or to make for others?
1: So my favorite to consume is just Tito's and soda. I'm just a sipper, right? So is she. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe a a, a Bud Light. But to make for others this thing called a Milky Way where you literally take, it's kind of like a, um, a white Russian, but you put half a Milky Way bar in there and turn it into a milkshake, mm. killer.
0: Someone dead or alive that you can enjoy a maths game with. I'd like to go with Bobby Knight. I want to, you know, talk about old school. IU? Or, uh, yeah,
1: I you, baby. I'd love to, I've, I've sat and talked to him, but I've never sat through a game with him. And that would have been
0: amazing. What are one of the essential lifestyle investments you've made physically or mentally into yourself once you became an owner and you started to grow and learn a lot more about yourself and the profession? I became a vegetarian.
1: Mm. You know, doesn't cost me anything obviously, but made me feel a whole lot better. Because I love the steak. Well, I love the big juicy steak, but my body just feels better now. And so that was probably the biggest lifestyle change that that changed my
0: life. Last question, and I appreciate you taking your time. Yes, sir. <laughs> Who ends up with more championships? Dirk or Luca? Definitely
1: Luca. Definitely Luca. I agree. I love Dirk. Dirk got one, but Luca's
0: the man. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I really appreciate it.
1: You got it, Kayla. Anytime.
0: Last call. Last call. This is probably my favorite part of the show. Not just because I'm a slacker and I'm happy to get off work after a long week and today's Thursday. So this kind of kicks off my weekend, but also to give some knowledge, love, food for thought. But this week's last call is really special to me. It's about the importance of being fearless. Sometimes I find that our biggest obstacles. Can be ourselves simply because we're scared. Yeah, I said it. We're scared. As humans, we are naturally scared of change. Being comfortable is nice and cozy, but it can prevent us from taking risks that will allow us to grow. Let's take our guest, Mark Cuban, for example. Mark dropped out of high school a year early to get his GED, dropped out of high school a year early to get his GED so that he can attend college a year early. There's a lot of fear that you have to conquer to make that happen. The fear of failing academically, fear of rejection that you won't make any friends. It was Mark's fearless approach to life that has allowed him to achieve his full potential. I'm just like you. I have fears that I'm looking to overcome. These are some tips that I would like to share that's helping me conquer my fear. Confront your fears immediately. One of the best exercises you can practice is to identify a person or situation in your life of which you are afraid and resolve to deal with that situation immediately and put the fear behind you. The only way to deal with fear is to address it head on. Visualize yourself as unafraid. Simply visualize yourself performing with confidence and competence in an area where you're fearful. Your self-image is eventually altered by feeding your mind these positive mental pictures of yourself performing at your best. And lastly, remember, you don't have to tackle fear alone. The first step often feels like the hardest. So have someone take the step with you. Looking to start a company? Get a co-founder. Nervous about moving across the country? See if a friend is down for an adventure. Wanting to lose weight? Make a gym buddy and keep the other accountable. Remember, once you become fearless, life becomes limitless. I'll see you next week, appreciate the love.